Content warning. On this podcast, we discuss grown-up issues, including but not limited to swearing, tasteless jokes, mentions of drug use, and situations of a sexual nature. This podcast is not intended for children. I don't know why I just get the giggles at the start. I don't know. I don't, I'll never understand. I don't know. Welcome back to Biliarex. We're in for a part two of the episode nobody wanted or asked for. Bugs, how are we doing today? Well, No More Heroes is still here and it's still ready to hurt us. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to be hurt today. It looks like we got through halfway last time. Mm-hmm. Let's Boy. try to finish this time. Mm-hmm. So for those who are just tuning in, please go back and listen to part one. Um, I will go ahead and give a quick warning. No More Heroes has uh, graphic material. We read about suicide, child sexual abuse, murder, and violence. I won't, like, dwell on the details, but don't listen to this if those things bother you. Hmm. What about me? (laughs) I'm bothered this whole time. I would say I'm paying you to be here, but I'm not. You're paying me to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. Yeah. So we had finished Gunpowder Plot of 2000 AD. Very upsetting and disappointing. Yeah. This next one is very different from that one. It is called The Half of It. And after reading it a couple times, I was able to figure out the location is upstate New York. Ah. And we start out from the perspective of an, oh, poor me, I'm a poor banker. So sad. So sad, this poor banker. And then I realized this book came out, it was written 2008, 2009. Mm. That's what was on everyone's mind, right? Um, The financial crisis, Mm -hmm. the housing crisis, all of that stuff happened around that time. So I started noticing themes in the book related to um, the housing crisis. There's cops play a large part in this book Mm -hmm. and they are generally oh the poor cops so i don't remember if there was like a lot of political stuff Mm -hmm. except for obama's like election Mm -hmm. but i you know like i don't remember there being a ton of like protests or cop murders or (laughs) yeah i don't remember a whole lot of anti-police sentiment at the time of course considering where we live we wouldn't hear about that unless True. And my life was blowing up. I had moved out and Mm -hmm. I had my own stuff going on. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even, I wasn't paying attention to the news too much during that time. So yeah, so that that brought up to me, oh, maybe that's where some of this perspective of these authors, their minds are at. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So yeah, but on whole, the story is actually written pretty well. Mm -hmm. So we open up, this banker is named Mullen. And he's worried he's going to have to close his bank. Mm. But he's a good banker because this is a family bank that's been open for six generations. They've owned it and they're in a small town in upstate New York. Already getting like wonderful life vibes. Kind of. That's that's what they want. They want you to feel bad for this poor banker who is everyone's closing their accounts in his bank. Mm. And it's because the cataclysm caused this huge financial crisis, societal collapse. All this stuff happened. So people are yanking their money out of banks. Mm. So it kind of gives you a Great Depression, the banks are collapsing vibe. Mm -hmm. And he had been trying to weather the storm. And now currently, people keep coming in, closing their accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, So we move from his perspective to Tom Giles. He is closing his account. And he's worried that the FDIC won't insure money anymore, like won't insure the banks. At, at the risk of sounding like a, a money idiot, what's the FDIC? <laughs> I'll look it up so I can read it to you. I know that they are the federal something that insures things. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we can just cut that out if you want. No, it's, it's not. Fine. I don't think it's integral to the story, is it? It's not really. <laughs> the FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and it basically means the government is here. They're insuring, I think, up to $250,000 of your money in your checking account. Mm. So if the bank collapses, that money will be protected. Mm. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm. If you're a big enough bank, they'll save you, like we saw recently. Yeah. <clears throat> so Tom Giles is worried about the bank saving his money mm-hmm. and his daughter, who is missing, but she's in Manhattan and she hasn't called him back. 
So we're inside his mind for like four paragraphs and he's just mulling over, I don't know about my money. I don't know about the bank. I don't know about my daughter. She hasn't called me back. She always calls me back. Oh my God. She went down there to get a job. The number one thing I want out of a superhero movie (laughs) or superhero story is uh, economics. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the political intrigue last time. Mm -hmm. This kind of comes in coming like, why do I care about this? Mm -hmm. But it is written so well, I was pulled into it. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, I wonder what's going on with his daughter. Mm -hmm. So then we switch perspective to Chuck Lopez. And all these people have been in the bank. Mm -hmm. So Tom um, Mullen is sitting in his corner office with the glass, and he can look out into the lobby, and he sees Tom Giles. Tom Giles is sitting there waiting to walk into him. And so we're in his head. He can look and see the security guard, which we move into his perspective. So the way they play the scene is really clever. We're going from person to person within the bank, Mm -hmm. from their perspectives, and catching their little inner life. Mm -hmm. So that part's really well done. So then we switch over to Chuck Lopez. He's the bank security officer, and his insurance company, they don't say, but I think it's his health insurance. They say they're dropping him because his job is too high risk. (laughs) So because he works security at a bank, that puts him at too high of risk, so they don't want to insure him. So he's got private... Why wouldn't he get insurance through the bank? Right? Because if it's a big enough bank to have been in this town for six generations... Yeah, you'd think they'd have uh, an insurance plan figured out for... Right, and the company would be paying the bulk of that. The bank itself would pay Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Which I I guess that can fall into the category of uh, uh, just suspending your disbelief since this is kind of a post-collapse... I think situation. this was also before Obamacare, mm. and companies weren't required to give insurance. Mm-hmm. And he may have been, I don't remember if they went into details, but if he was a contractor mm. or, you know, something else. Because sometimes security people work for a different company, mm-hmm. and then they're at the bank. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so that, it's that possible works. that, but why do we need these details mm-hmm. in a superhero short story? Right. I don't know. So, yeah. So, he's thinking about putting in his notice and quitting his job unless Tom Giles can give him a raise. Mm. So, it does sound like his income is coming from the banker. Right. I don't know. So, he's in his head worrying about all these things. and uh, he's, he's about to die, isn't he? He notices Ron Jr. in line. And he starts mentally, I hate that kid, oh, that's a piece of shit. He probably sells weed to the engines up on the reservation. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so he just goes that- into this mental rant about this guy. Is that a quote? <laughs> yeah, close to it. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, he speculates that the kids sell weed to the Indians up on the res. Well. So... And apparently at one point he had like followed Ron Jr. in his car and Ron Jr. had taken him on a wild goose chase up toward the reservation. So he just hates this kid. (laughs) So, yeah, he's like looking around and he notices everyone around because that's his job. He's Mm -hmm. a security officer. Um, So, yeah, so in his head, we get this little backstory on Ron Jr. Wait, he's not a cop. He's following this child around? No, not a cop. He had been a cop at some point, yeah. but it currently just works security gigs. So he's just stalking a kid. Yes. Okay. And the kid knows. Yep. And this kid is like in his 20s, mm-hmm. but this was back when he was like a teen or something. Yeah. Yeah. He just has it out for this kid. Um. So yeah, he's just standing there. He's mentally grumbling about Ron Jr. Mm-hmm. And he, he, Ron Jr. is in line. He also notices a small Canadian guy who appears very nervous. Mm. And so we move from his perspective to Ron Jr.'s perspective. And he knows the security guy's eyeballing him. Mm-hmm. And um, he hates the cop security guy back. He mm-hmm. hates Lopez because he's much more important than selling weed on the res. He is much more valuable and important. Thank you very much. Because he works as a henchman for the big villains down in New York City. Ah, he's at the big times. <laughs> he's at the big times. Mm. He worked for Crisis. He worked for like Postule and Lord Astral. Like, like he's their guy who calls to say, hey, you got some henchmen. We can bust this bank. We can knock down this building, whatever. Mm. So he's built himself a reputation as a small-time mobster slash henchman slash gang leader yeah i was gonna say like a a, a freelance henchman mm-hmm. so kind, kind of the uh kind of the opposite side of the coin of the security guard that hates him so much yes yep so he has been thinking he's hmm. done working for these other villains he wants to become one himself hmm. he is going to start Getting his own henchman, building his own business, and being a non-hero or non-super, just all-around gangster bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
And this bank is the perfect place to start. The bank with, that's running out of money. <laughs> the bank that's running out of money, he can hit it for all their cash, and that will be his announcement to the world. Ron Jr. is a bad guy all on his own. Mm -hmm. So now we switch perspective to Gordon Bates. Mm. He's the really tiny, nervous Canadian standing just behind Ron Jr. Is he a hero? Yes. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> it was pretty clearly forecast. So. Yeah, yeah. But the way the story, the way you go around the room, mm -hmm. switching to each person's perspective mm -hmm. is really well done. Yeah. The writing is really good. Mm -hmm. So he's cashing a check for $437 from two weeks of working at the local grill. Mm -hmm. He remembers his stressful weekend where St. North found him. And St. North demands he returns to his superhero duties. Mm -hmm. So, da-da-da-da, shows up at his cabin. Hey, you, I found you. You're not dead. You need to come be a hero because all these villains are out here killing everybody. Apparently, Gordon Bates had been the superhero Sunspot, but mm -hmm. he had missed his flight to Australia and was presumed dead after the cataclysm. Okay. So just random luck, he didn't die. And he had showed up on the newspapers as among the missing and or presumed dead. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to just... Move back home, mm -hmm. go to a little cabin, make 400 bucks for two weeks worth of work at the grill. No one can bug me. <laughs> so he's already shown as being a coward and selfish and whatever. I mean, in anybody else, that would be like kind of normal. But since he's got superpowers, that it, it kind of makes him a coward, I, I guess. And because... Sunspot had happened to miss his flight. Mm -hmm. St. North believes in God, believes in a higher purpose and a higher power. He's like, it's not a coincidence. You missed your flight. You were saved for this purpose to join my cause. And Sunspot hates him. <laughs> There's a lot of weird Christian overtones in this this book. <laughs> there are. And it's it's really odd in this world. It's really jarring and strange. Yeah. It's like adding in like a, a third. It's like making a chicken and rice dish. But feeling the need to add, like, fish on top of it. Right. It's yeah. like, if you already have a world with superpowers, superheroes, super beings, why do you need a god as well? Mm -hmm. Because we do have, like, the Guardian is described as, is he an extraterrestrial? Mm -hmm. Is he an angel? We don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, so do angels actually exist in this world? And St. North believes in God, but other people don't. So it's not actually, like established mm. it's just still this personal random belief mm. but then at some point we meet a character named bag of bones who actually does show up at preordained points and moves fate the way he wants it to go mm. but he's not a superhero he's a neutral yeah all right it, it's just very contradictory yep. yeah it's, it's, yep. so he tries to convince sunspot to join him sunspot says no way jose get away i'm done with all that i'm happy living my little life here but he's in the bank <laughs> That's about to get robbed. He sees Ron Jr. step up to the cashier and talk to the teller and sees her eyes go wide mm. and his hands start glowing white. Mm. And he just can't help himself. So now we switch perspective. <laughs> From outside the bank at a coffee shop across the street, St. North is sitting there drinking his coffee when a brand new character, Red Claw, who is an Inuit superhero, mm -hmm. shows up and they start talking about Sunspot. Mm. And they watch a very bright light emanate from the windows and hear the people in the bank cheer. Hmm. So at the moment of action, you're not even in the bank anymore. Mm -hmm. You're outside seeing the effects of it. This feels like a Tarantino movie, but you didn't get to see like you're, you're just watching like the preceding scene or the following set of scenes that explains the background of what was happening in the mm -hmm. in the background of. The initial run of scenes. Yeah, we miss out the, on the action yeah. for real. And uh, so that's our guy, Simon said. Sunspot lives. The end of that story. That is so... Like, it almost sounds interesting the way it was done. Like, I keep having the feeling... It was done really well. It was yeah. written really well. I feel like the limitations were just very similar to the entire mm -hmm. universe. Nothing can actually happen. Nothing can actually change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as far as in this, in, compared to the other ones, if we're doing a comparison grade, mm -hmm. what is that called? Um, it's like a grading curve, I guess, where you have to compare your students to the other students. You can't have a fixed absolute grade in your head. So compared to the other stories mm -hmm. in the book, I think this one was up there. It probably gets an A. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from the missing little bit of action at the end, mm -hmm. we do get a satisfying ending. We have everything is wrapped up pretty mm -hmm. well. 
at the end of every internal monologue, um, the character says, the characters uh, each say, they don't know the half of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the story was called The Half of It. Uh, okay. So each of them that's, is that's like, kind of it was pulled together of mm-hmm. like, well, they think they know my problems. They don't know the half of it. Mm-hmm. He thinks he knows what it's like to be hunted and <laughs> want me to be a hero and I just want to live my life he mm-hmm. don't know the half of it mm-hmm. and so and so the way it is the way it's written is really well balanced and really well done mm-hmm. yeah it feels like even when these stories are really good in this book it feels like it's doing it in spite of the superhero stuff mm-hmm. like just right there the thing that makes superheroes entertaining uh, was taken out and honestly it was the better for it rather than having these nonsense fight scenes that really do bring nothing to it right and having the perspective of the the normal human the little mm-hmm. guy i mean even the bad guy in the story is a normal human mm-hmm. so you could completely erase all the superhero from the book mm-hmm. and it's a good short story mm-hmm. So I think this was one of the few talented writers yeah. who just got roped into this for whatever reason. What was this author's name? Uh, the half of it was written by Frank Burns. Frank Burns, you get the Bibliorex seal of approval. Congrats. <laughs> uh, don't look him up and harass him, though. Thank you very much. <laughs> so the next one is uh, A Crisis of Purpose. Warning for uh, child murder. Oh, boy. Um. Graphic, graphic violence. I will describe a little bit of it because it is so graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, and discussions of like suicide, murder, that kind of just grotesque stuff. Mm-hmm. This one is up there in the most violent mm-hmm. of the stories. So this story is from the perspective of Crisis. We only met him briefly in the one where Jeff was being tormented by Black Empty because the, in, the uh, sidekicks had been attempting to assassinate Crisis uh, okay. in one of the flashbacks. Right. And anyone who looks at him goes insane. He's mm. able to create a psychic link with them, and he makes them go and just murder each other, mm. do horrible things, because he sits there and watches it because it's fun. So he's at a cafe drinking tea when fights start breaking out all around him. A waitress smashes a coffee pot into a woman's face, and shards of glass are, like, sticking out of her face. <laughs> A couple start yelling at each other in fist fighting. Someone stabs somebody else with a fork. The woman with the coffee pot glass in her face is biting and ripping the flesh off of the waitress. Sounds like Waffle House. On a Tuesday. A mom in a nearby apartment hears a racket, opens a fifth-story window, looks down, gets grabbed, picks up her crying baby, and drops it out the window. Oh, God. No. I hate that. I don't, I don't like this one. Yeah, that's like your worst nightmare. That, mm-hmm. To be psychically grabbed by somebody and forced to do like your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. But the baby doesn't die. A golden angel comes shooting out of the sky. It scoops up the baby and it sets it gently in the crowd of murdering people. Yeah, that, that part didn't make any sense to me, but the baby just be, is just this ancillary side thing mm-hmm. of horror. Mm-hmm. She just, yeah, baby, here you go. Here, yeah, you can the, sit on a chair or something. The baby literally just exists to horrify you for a moment and then show you how good the good guy is. Yeah. So this is Nike, a Scottish golden goddess. She is back. Not Nike. All right. <laughs> Let's hear about Nike, Dan. She sees the fighting and confronts Crisis. Her, um... She's the goddess of Glasgow, is her nickname used in this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, She demands that Crisis stop forcing all these people to murder each other. Mm -hmm. He's like, uh, oh, they love doing it. They do it to themselves, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, on the contrary, you have to stop it. His whole shtick at this point is he's bored because there's no superheroes to fight him. Mm-hmm. Because there's no risk in what he's doing, mm-hmm. it's not fun to him anymore. Uh, he wants a superhero to show up and fight him, and he wants to use his little psychic zombies to attack the superhero. He wants it to be fun. Mm-hmm. So Nike showing up satisfies all those desires for him. Mm-hmm. He wants her to fight the people, fight him, but by doing that, she would no longer be a hero. Mm-hmm. Because if you kill a bystander, you're now a villain, mm-hmm. right? So he wants Nike to truly fight him, but she won't kill people. Quote of him, but I do. I'm going to kill all these people. Mm-hmm. So he's very one-dimensional, just enjoys killing and people dying. Mm-hmm. He promises to go to Glasgow and uh, make the whole city kill each other because mm-hmm. that's where she's from. Right. And because she's refusing to kill him, he's like, well, fine. I will do whatever torturous thing I can 
mm-hmm. to make you fight me. Mm-hmm. And I will up the ante up and up and up until you fight me. Mm-hmm. I feel like this person likes anime, whoever wrote this one. Because <laughs> that seems like a, it's a, a pretty common trope in anime that... uh. Uh, there's always like at least one character that all they want to do is fight and have like a good fight or be it's almost like they've got like a a, a foil kink like mm-hmm. like they can't have a good time unless someone is actively stopping them from doing something right yeah it, none of the i don't feel like any of the villains are really given that good of a reason why. Mm -hmm. Like, their internal motivation isn't really very clear. This one, it is clear, but it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I guess he's supposed to be, like, considered mad or Mm -hmm. insane, kind of like, I don't know, the Joker or one of those characters who does it just because it's fun to them personally. It's it's pretty Joker vibey. Yeah. So Nike flashes back to the day she first went to the museum in Glasgow, where she found the Grecian urn that gave her her powers. (laughs) She asked her mother who the Neanderthals were. Because she sees, like, a display in the, muse- in the museum. Her mother answered, they're the ones who didn't adapt. The world didn't need them anymore. So we're setting up the idea of evolving and adapting. Okay. Crisis has a psychic link with the people that he controls around him. And he had hoped that getting all this attention would get the attention, or, or get making the people kill each other would get him the attention of the Guardian. But the Cataclysm destroyed all the good superheroes. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, well, the good ones are gone. And then people found out there were still heroes around. Mm-hmm. So he was like, oh, well, I can get one of them to pay attention to me now. Okay. It looks like Nike won't put up a real fight either. Mm-hmm. So he pulls out a gun, <laughs> planning on shoving it in her mouth and pulling the trigger mm-hmm. and making it look like he raped her. <laughs> Making it look like? Yeah, he's not planning on Somehow that's weirder. Yeah, he's just like, well, you know, I could just make it look like I took advantage of her. And I was like, with a hole in her head. Okay. For whatever reason, okay. He's like, yeah, I want to look like I I, I did something awful, but I don't want to actually do it. It's it's icky. (laughs) Too much work. (laughs) I know. So so he's like like grabbing her, shoving this gun in her mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, She doesn't resist. All of these like humans are like around holding on to her. Goodbye, little goddess, he says. So suddenly she fights back. She breaks his wrist. And he feels pain, and it's glorious. Somebody's actually fighting him. Yay. Mm. You want someone who has no mercy? Yeah, but you're not that kind of hero. Well, I'll put you somewhere you'll never hurt anyone again. Okay, you're going to put Crisis in prison? Really? (laughs) So he replies, I really do want to stop hurting people. What what is this extra dimension? What? Yeah, it was. I, I got kind of lost. The idea is that... She's ready to actually fight and kill him now, Mm -hmm. apparently, because she broke his wrist. And she's, like, ready to fight. He realizes she's ready to fight and pretends to be actually sorry for what he's done. And she's like, well, I'll just put you in prison. And he's like, well, if you put me in prison, I'll be able to mess with them really bad. Ha, ha, ha. But he also said, like, I don't want to hurt people anymore. So he's just, like, playing mind games with her, but also with me. (laughs) Because I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't make any kind of real sense. Like, no. I feel like they just took the Joker, Joker angle a little bit too hard to where mm. it just stops making any kind of internal sense. So even the order of, like, physical action events mm. is confusing to me, too. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wait, so he reaches out to grab her hand. She reaches out to take his hand. Are her wings out? Are her wings not out? Mm-hmm. Is pe- are people grabbing her? Are people not grabbing her? It's it, it this part is written very badly. Mm-hmm. I was very confused. Yeah. I always hated overly complex action scenes because you just you really don't know what's going on unless it's put simply. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like put simply and you can just kind of imply a lot of the action that's happening. Yeah, this one is overwritten. Mm-hmm. Where we skipped the action last time, this one every little bit is written out, but it's also really hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah. So the end effect is she reaches out her hand. He grabs it and kicks her in the ankle and, like, knocks her over. Mm-hmm. The whole crowd of people who had been a fighting mob right around them mm-hmm. close in and grab her and pin her down. She's fighting back but realizes she's hurting bystanders and innocents. So she goes limp. Crisis revels in the body count and says that heroes always lose because they don't do what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. So that has been kind of like the theme going back and forth. And also her thoughts of, we can't win because we can't kill anyone. Mm-hmm. Right? So Nike says, I'll just have to evolve. So she blasts free of these people, I guess. 
and beats Crisis to death <laughs> with her fists until there's chunks of gore and brain and and skull just splattered mm-hmm. in this cafe where he was having tea. Mm-hmm. We now switch perspective to a person who had been one of the psychic zombie people, mm-hmm. and she snaps awake. And everyone had told her Nike was the hero who saved her. But all she sees is a golden woman beating a man to death with her fists. And she is just traumatized at the idea of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And we're left feeling really gross and weird. Mm -hmm. Even though Nike did the right thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the story is trying to say. Right. Because she's evolving. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to imply that that is changing her moral stance. Mm-hmm. She's no longer lawful good. Mm-hmm. Is she neutral good? Is mm-hmm. she chaotic? Or has she become true evil? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because you can't change the character because every other author has to have a chance to use her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like whoever came up with this setting only was interested in good, bad, and neutral. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't have like any nuance past that. And mm-hmm. the story just kind of feels like it's rejecting any kind of nuance in the situation. Right. Because even the neutrals aren't truly gray. Yeah. They just kind of pop in and pop out as mm-hmm. needed for plots. Mm-hmm. We don't ever follow one of them and actually see what they want mm-hmm. or what it's like to try to stay out of these fights. So, yeah. So the story itself, eh, writing, eh, probably like a B minus, maybe a C, kind of just meh. I was shocked by the baby getting thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm um, a little bit horrified by the idea of a woman chewing somebody's face off. Yeah. <sighs> was this also around the time of Basalt's? Oh, it could have been. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I remember yeah, around, quite possibly. around the time I was in high school uh, at this point. Uh, I, th- I think that bath salts thing in. Florida happened. Right. Where some people were go taking some weird drugs and going yeah, insane. That that one guy ate that other guy's face. Mm. So that that could have been spawned from there. Could have been. Yeah, because it seems like a lot of the stuff was very relevant to its time and people mm-hmm. were writing about their current insecurities and anxieties and then projecting them into the story. Mm-hmm. So So this one just felt like it was just trying its best to be super gritty. Very gritty. Yeah. Very kind of like in Watchmen when mm. you have – did you ever read the graphic novel of Watchmen? No, I, I only watched the movie. Even in the movie. Some of the scenes of violence are just really raw mm-hmm. and gross yeah. and grotesque. And I felt like they were trying to pull some of that imagery mm-hmm. and put it in there. And it was also, I guess, written like you would write a comic book right. where it's these short little blurbs, these short action sentences Mm -hmm. and if it had been in a comic and i could actually look at the pictures and know what's going on it would have made a lot more sense Mm because we could have seen the angel fly from the sky grab the baby and set it in a chair we could have you know seen her fighting and then switch the perspective to the other lady a lot of these things would make more sense if you had these other helpful props Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah that was just just meh um you know what's not meh what's that these sponsors yeah, they're they're surprisingly mid. <laughs> Hello, Biblio freaks, geeks, and lovers. Bam here with a couple of notes for you. We have a Patreon where we focus on a bad book and bad movie combo. Please leave comments and suggestions on our Facebook or email us at bibliorex at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-O-W-R-E-C-K-S at gmail.com. We are also at Bibliorex on all our socials. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy these bad books as much as we do. And welcome back from ads about our socials. We got some great socials there, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I'd buy our socials. <laughs> you can't have them, I made them. <laughs> uh, all right, what's next? Picking up the pieces. Mm. This was just about my favorite story in the whole book. Mm-hmm. It was so well done. Mm. I wish that this author had been writing most of the stories. Mm-hmm. The author is Carrie Burns, and they just had real talent. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really, the perspective was one person the whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God. What a great change. <laughs> oh, my goodness. From yeah. this book of, we have three pages, and we're going to have six people's different stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, this entire story is from Karen Dawes' perspective. Mm-hmm. She, every sentence 
does what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. It tells you what's happening, who's there, why they're doing things. So this is about halfway through the book. And if I hadn't gotten to this one, I would be, I would have just quit. I would have thrown it down and said, nope, you are on your own. Bam, bam. You go talk to them yourself. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So Karen Dawes is in her underground layer. She's a villain, but she's not very Mm villainy. So we're basically coming into it as she's just basically a normal middle-aged single woman. Um, And her perspective is pretty much that. Think Jessica Jones, Mm -hmm. only with different powers than her. But yeah, just kind of I'm a loner. But I'm not particularly malevolent, just Mm -hmm. doing my job. Being a villain is just her job. Um, So she is walking up to a safe, and she goes, my poor baby. And she throws her pinky toe into the safe. (laughs) (laughs) Inside the safe is a pile of rotting body parts. Oh. Arms, legs, feet, heads. Are they all hers? They are all hers. Okay. And she has this irrational fear of letting go of pieces of herself. So she keeps them in a sealed safe where they can just rot on their own. And every time she loses a piece of herself, that's where it goes. And I guess she grows it back? She grows it back. So the night before, she had been in a bar, and she was betting all these other drunken people that she, for $500, she bet them she would cut off her toe. You wouldn't cut off your toe. No, you wouldn't. So she takes out some gardening shears, snip, walks out with uh, 500 bucks and a full belly of booze. (laughs) So that's her idea of a fun evening. Maybe that's why I got the Jessica Jones idea. Yeah. (laughs) Is Jessica Jones an alcoholic? She is quite the alcoholic. Extremely. Yeah, that's most of the uh, episodes are her being very drunk and Mm. knocked out. So we come back to Karen. She is worried because her gynecologist had found cancer in her lower abdomen. Mm. So trigger warning for listeners. This does discuss cancer, um, diagnoses, treatment, Lots of women's health issues. So if any of that makes you squeamish, the rest of the episode might not be for you. So before she had gained her abilities, she'd had a partial hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. They had taken out her uterus and one of her ovaries. Mm -hmm. And so she has one remaining ovary, and that allows her to live her life without having to take hormones. Mm -hmm. But it means she doesn't have periods. So she never has PMS and bloating and looks perfectly slim in her outfit. (laughs) So for her, that's a Mm win-win. But After her magic, she does regrow body parts now. So she doesn't regrow the uterus that was cut out before the transformation. Mm -hmm. She only regrows body parts currently. She is worried that if she does have cancer, it's just going to come back over and over and over again because her body parts already do that. She gets the call from her doctor, and he says the numbers indicate cancer, and she needs to come in and get a biopsy done. She falls apart. Who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. But worm woman doesn't cry. Was that the name drop? That's the name drop. Her name is Worm Woman. Because hmm. if you cut off a piece, she grows it back. R- right. <laughs> is that it? That's her name, Worm Woman. Uh, is that the end of the story, though? No. Oh, okay. I was waiting for a laugh. Say, but... <laughs> you didn't laugh at Worm Woman. I thought you would. <laughs> I was afraid that was the end of the story. I was like, that's a lot of setup for like a pretty weak, uh, <laughs> pretty well, weak job. Cut, cut that bit. That was a, a failed wait, laugh. That's uh, uh, fine. <clears throat> I think I just un- misunderstood the joke because I thought that was the end of the story. I was like, I'm yeah. more disappointed than that was funny. <laughs> Worm Woman doesn't cry, but Karen does. Hmm. She goes to bed. She's crying. She's drinking heavily, trying to, like, process she has cancer. What is she going to do? Anxious about the surgery. When Dr. Pustule rings her up, (laughs) Mm. he has a job for her, and she says, no, she's not going to do it. Mm -hmm. He threatens to give the job to Goatman, but she says, whatever. I don't care. And she has a thing. She's busy. And she hates Goatman as much as you do. (laughs) So that's supposed to convince her to joined the job and it's like well if you won't do it i'll give it to this guy you really hate Mm -hmm. nope i'm busy can't do it Mm -hmm. okay so she hangs up on him and goes and rereads her spell book but it doesn't have a cure for cancer Mm -hmm. she goes to the hospital for pre-op gets her magnesium citrate because you have to have empty bowels Ah. (laughs) she gets home takes the medicine she's feeling anxious and sick she takes her meds and is sitting on the throne when the phone rings, Dr. Pustule calls and leaves a message that Goatman did the job, but he needs your help with a hero problem. So I guess this is at that point in the timeline when people found out they're still heroes. Mm. She knows not to trust him with her diagnosis, but she is just 
alone and sad. Mm-hmm. Just very, very alone and sad. Need someone to open up to. Yeah. So, you know, still tells him, no, can't do the job. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, baffled. Like, you do every job. Mm-hmm. Nope, not doing this one. Okay. So she gets back to the hospital. She goes in for surgery. She drops 20 grand in cash at the registration. And they're like, well, we could just bill your insurance. And she's like, nope, not doing that. So they're like, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. So they take her in for surgery. In recovery, the doctor tells her it's stage three ovarian cancer. Radiation and chemo are the only good options. She can already feel her ovary growing back. Mm-hmm. And it was just removed. So she knows that if the ovary is coming back and she has stage three cancer, the cancer will come back too. Mm-hmm. So she says, nope, I'm not doing chemo. I'm not doing radiation. You can stick it where the sun don't shine. I'm not coming back. The doctor's pissed off. You can't just, you can't just, you'll die. You'll die. Well, I can't do this. You'll just die. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, okay. And she just leaves without <laughs> medical leave. She's just out of there. So she heads home and um, Dr. Paul Pustule calls her. So this time she answers and she tells him she can't work anymore. She has stage three cancer and she's retiring. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Pustule takes it really well. He's like, well, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really surprised at this uh, <laughs> empathy coming from Dr. Pustule. Mm-hmm. And he's like, is there anything we can do for you to get you to come back? She's like, nope. You can get me cookie crumblers, uh, triple chocolate fudge brownie recipe. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you've got it. Just take it easy. They hang up. And she goes and gets her glass of wine and takes a bath and feels at peace. And (laughs) so not much happens. Most of it's in her head and just the surgery. But I really, really loved the story. It was really easy and quick to tell you what exactly happened because Mm -hmm. it was so straightforward. The character, even though they're a villain, you really see their humanity. Mm -hmm. You really see their motivation. And you just experience their loneliness and their sadness. and How they come to terms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just of all the villains in the story in the book, this is the only one that Mm -hmm. I found interesting, creative, well done. I could have read a whole book about her. I mean, if the whole book had been this author about her, I'm on it. I would love that. Mm. It was very, very well done. Cool. Yeah. So, are you ready for the rebirth of Farmer? Oh, boy. (laughs) Jay, pull out the picture. I've been waiting for two days now. I found this picture on the message boards between the authors who wrote these stories. This is the prompt idea of what Agro Boy looks like. Oh my God. Can you describe him for us, please? Uh, it's just this. Oh, okay. I need to take this in for a second. I have been waiting for this moment for two weeks. <laughs> this picture will be in the show notes. Just for context for everybody, I've I've read The Rebirth of Farmer, but not bugs, yeah, only that one story, and Bugs read the rest of it. But I would have never, in my mind, imagined Agro Boy to be so beautiful. <laughs> he he is a cut off sleeved. Uh, He's wearing a vest, right? I thought it was like a, a. Okay, from here it looks like a mechanics jumpsuit. It's all monotone anyway. Uh, a red bandana and a a hat that I think belongs to uh, who's that one guitarist? Uh, if it's a country guitarist, I don't know. He's like a rock. Ted Nugent. Yeah, Ted Nugent. <laughs> it looks like Ted Nugent's hat. And he's, and wearing... he's just <laughs> propped up with a crotch shot on an old tractor in a field. Yeah, wearing black pants, a black vest. Yeah. And obviously very full of himself. He mm-hmm. thinks this is the money shot. Good chin strap beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this preteenish <laughs> boy. Yes. Oh, gosh. So it's... that is what the author was thinking oh, when duh. he wrote this story. Yeah, he definitely looks like someone who has an alcoholic parent that hits them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so warning to the listeners, this story is full of child abuse, alcoholism, verbal abuse. And this one is, I wanted to do an episode just on this story. <laughs> It was so awful. But now that I've read the whole book, I can actually explain to you, Bam Bam, what's going on. Okay, yeah. And that will help quite a bit. Yeah, because when I read this, I didn't know they were all interconnected. Right. We thought this was an an anthology of short stories. Mm -hmm. I thought it was an anthology of short stories 
with superheroes. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. It was a shared universe. And these characters were designed by the editors Mm -hmm. that the authors could then use. Mm So yeah, that knowing all of that context and then going back into Rebirth <laughs> of Farmer <laughs> helps quite a lot. Yeah. Quite a lot. <laughs> and then being immersed in this world, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I understand the headspace these authors are in. Mm-hmm. I get it now. So the story begins with Agro Boy. I want to say agro boy, but <laughs> agro as in agriculture was honestly our best guess, even though it's spelled A-G-R-O-W. Mm-hmm. His name is Harry. I'm going to call him Harry the whole time because agro or agro are stupid names. Yeah. <laughs> he is digging a grave. It is um, two feet wide, five feet long. And four feet deep. Mm-hmm. It was like a very odd shape. It was mm-hmm. very weird. And he was like, oh, only two more feet to go. <sighs> so he, so beginning of the story, we're standing there in the field with with Harry digging a, a grave. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not told it's a grave. But that's the shape of a grave. Right. Right. From there, we flash back to how he gained his powers. An experimental plant food that made the vegetables grow huge but caused the patriarch Frank to die is the origin story of Harry and his mother, Matilda. (laughs) So they had got this experimental food, used it on the family farm. Um, The dad dies. We never find out about any of the farmhands or what happens to them. But uh, Matilda, the mom, and Harry, the kid, gain superpowers. (laughs) Harry can grow to 12 feet tall, shrink to six inches, has huge strength and endurance, and can use chlorophyll to gain strength from plants. That part I couldn't understand because it's yeah. not written. I mean, it doesn't well. it doesn't come up in the story. No. Yeah. We just know he has super strength. Mm-hmm. And it's not explained how. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't matter, ultimately. Mm. And his mom's just poison ivy. Except more abusive. Yeah. I would say poison ivy would be a decent mom mm-hmm. because she would actually care about her children. She loves her plants. Right. So if one of her plants was her children, she would be a nice mom. Mm-hmm. No, Matilda is abusive. Mm-hmm. The entire story is slogging through her, calling him names, yelling at him, screaming at him, hitting him. It becomes just... <sighs> Just so repetitive and awful. And driving him to drink out of his dead dad's liquor cabinet. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. He, she becomes a raving lunatic and he becomes an alcoholic at 13. Mm-hmm. So that's like the setup. St. North stops by. Good and old, now we know North. who that is. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to calm her down and tell her what you're doing isn't superhero. You're yeah. acting like a villain. Okay. But she tells him, get the fuck out of my house, get off my property, and chases him away with her trees that can open doors and pick him up and throw him out, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, and in the same way, she had driven away the farmhands who had like lived on the land, had houses on the land. She just chases them off, grows a huge jungle on the farm, and so it's just her and Harry. Doesn't Harry refer to it as a compound at one point? Or am I misremembering? Um, he created it's. He calls it a jungle fortress. Okay. Yeah, because 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 it's basically like a jungle bunker kind of mm-hmm. thing where she builds these huge walls of trees and like everything is like just surrounded by vegetation. Mm-hmm. So the night of the grave digging, Matilda and Harry had gone on a mission. Mm-hmm. So we're in the flashback, and then the flashback flashes forward to before the grave digging. Mm-hmm. And um, Matilda had said, we're going to go scout out this place. We're going on a mission. So they drive their car down to Topeka, Kansas, which is like a few hours from wherever they are. Mm -hmm. So they're in the Midwest. And they were driving through the town in front of these huge mansions. And I guess we're kind of like meant to see that Harry grew up very poor. Mm -hmm. And we're comparing it to these rich bastards in the city. Yeah, that's a weird comparison because they had enough land to house several families to work on their farm right and they were a very successful large farming business yeah so that that's that's odd (laughs) when i actually lived out in the midwest for a little while Mm -hmm. i saw the farms of the size that this is actually describing Mm -hmm. and the machinery they used was really like next generation it was huge Mm -hmm. and i mean you would only need people to farm some of the land because they were driving these huge machines Mm -hmm. Um, 
But like, yeah, these people were the ones who had the wealth in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're in. A, they were in a lot of like debt to the bank to own the stuff. Mm-hmm. Com- but compared to everyone else in Kansas and yeah. locally, they were were the ones with the money. So mm-hmm. he, I guess, big fish in a little pond. But then now in <laughs> Topeka, Kansas, he's uh, realizing how poor and run down their place was. Mm-hmm. So, because the people weren't really shown to be like servants, they were farm hands. Mm-hmm. But you really get the feeling that they were like lower class or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that was the family farm situation. Mm-hmm. So they finally get in front of like the biggest mansion he's ever seen. It has topiaries out front. It has a big gate. It has guards and guard dogs. And they're staking it out when Matilda says, "All right, come on, let's go." And he's like, "No, we don't. You said we were just staking them out. We're just looking. No, here we go. We gotta do it. We gotta do something about this." Yeah. And at this point, the uh, what, what was the neutral character? Bag of Bones. Yeah, Bag of Bones shows up here, and we couldn't figure that out at first. No. I didn't find out the answer to who this character was until page 338 mm-hmm. in the epilogue where we finally get the wrap-up of the whole story. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were like, he saw this person. Let's see if I have it written down. So, yeah. So, to quote... What we are led to understand of this character who mm-hmm. just shows up at this one paragraph in this whole story. Harry did a double take when he saw what happened, what appeared to be a human skeleton standing on the opposite sidewalk. He was frozen with fear as it began to walk toward him. It stopped not a foot from him and looked him up and down. You have to stop her, it said in a hollow voice. She is out of control. What? Harry said. Remember to duck. The bone said. It raised a bony arm and pointed toward the gate. (laughs) Harry follows the skeletal figure with his eyes. Now Harry shouted warnings to stop and get on the ground. When he looks back, the skeleton is gone. So as he's going in, a security guard gets thrown through the gate. He ducks. And that's the payoff. Yep. So he gets in there and uh, these four dogs come running at him. And he's like, ah, mom. And mom turns around and shoots grass shards into the dog's feet Mm. and stick them to the ground. (laughs) And she's making the topiary run around and attack the guards. Mm. And so she's just like out of control, using everything to destroy everything. Mm -hmm. They get to the front porch and the a man is out there and Matilda's like, do you know who this is? He needs to pay. It ends up being the head of the company that did the um, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So the fer- the guy who had the fertilizer that killed the patriarch of the family, that caused Matilda and Harry to have their superpowers, this is his house that they've stormed. Mm-hmm. A little girl comes running out, no, daddy. And Harry's like, oh, I can't let my mom kill this guy with his little kid here. Mm-hmm. And he keeps saying, mom, we need to go. Mom, we need to go. Mom, we need to go. This isn't right. Mm-hmm. So his internal sense of like morality is set to... We're not going to blame this guy for what happened. Mm -hmm. But her sense of justice is we need to kill him for what he did. Mm -hmm. So that's the conflict between them. And this entire story, we're following Harry's perspective. So we never hear Matilda's Matilda's point of view. We only hear his, like, watching her be out of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's presented more as just like a a psychotic force in the story without reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Matilda grabs a tree or makes a tree grow up tall Mm -hmm. somehow and swings it or brings it down on top of the man. And Harry grows to 12 feet tall and blocks it with his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And then he turns around and the tree has fallen on Matilda and killed her. Mm -hmm. So he picks her up and leaves and drives them home. He gets home and he buries her in that grave mm-hmm. and he goes into the kitchen and waits. And cries, doesn't he? He waits in there and he's crying and then he hears the door open mm-hmm. and his mom walks in and she's like, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm here for you. You saved me mm-hmm. because apparently she's died before and this and every time she dies, she comes back as a different kind of person oh. and has a personality change. I didn't get that. You don't get it unless you understand the world. You've read Agro and uh, the Farmer's backstory, mm-hmm. and then you read it. That's that's insane. Like yes. how how are you gonna get people to understand how to do this much work? You can barely get people to read. Mm-hmm. Much less do all this work to understand what they're reading. <laughs> and I didn't know who Bag of Bones was until the end of the book. Right. The very end. <sighs> that's bananas. And then we don't understand that he controls fate and steps in to change things until that part of the book, mm. the very, very end. And he apparently stopped Agro Boy from getting killed by the security guard getting thrown out the gate. Mm. And then Harry was able to stop his mom. And that's why Bag of Bones 
alternated this timeline was to just stop Matilda? That's just so weird. If you had fucking said it in the story, yeah. it could have made sense. Or like set it up in a reasonable fucking way. <laughs> yeah. What? <sighs> so yeah, on a, uh, reading the story on its own makes no sense. It is an F. It failed. Yeah, I was going to say, that on its own is enough to give it a fail in my in my book. Yeah. going. I'm guessing, just guessing, that the author of this story assumed that the character list would have been included in the book, mm-hmm. and the people reading the book already knew all this other background. Yeah. Because if you had read these other things, if you had the prologue and the epilogue, if you had these other things that make it make sense, mm. that's how you can skip all of this character background. Development. Yes. <laughs> all of these other things around the story. Hello, fellow bibliofreaks. Bam here. I just wanted to mention our Patreon bonus content that we have lined up for you. In September, we will be watching and reading Aragon for a bad book, bad movie bonus episode, and whatever the community suggests for us. At $1, you are buying us a soda and the wonderful feeling of collaboration in our efforts to create this community. At $5, you get the bonus bad book, bad movie episode, as well as early ad-free release of all our episodes. The $10 tier gives you the bonus ad-free content, as well as show notes, and a chance to hang out with us on Twitch every month. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to that bad book. So, are you pleased that now I understand this world and can explain it to you? Uh, I think the last time I was pleased throughout this entire thing was seeing the picture of Agro Boy. <laughs> oh my god. I don't think gosh. I'll ever be that pleased again in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't believe that story actually got worse. Somehow. 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 Because before it just didn't make any sense, and now it's just a stupid reasoning for why it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was one sentence in the middle of the story of, I've died before, mm. that Matilda said. And that's the setup to, she dies and is resurrected. Uh, okay. I thought she was speaking metaphorically, like mm. she died when her husband died or right. something. Nope. This was a literal, her ability is to get buried. She comes back up like a, a seedling uh-huh. and then is a new person. Her her physical form is never described in the story. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if she looks like a tree, if she's green, if she looks like poison ivy. Mm-hmm. That part is just never really described. So yeah, just really, really frustrating. And it's a good thing I didn't read about Worm Woman before reading about this because I would have thought, oh, this was a good book. And, you know, I would have been lost. Mm, yeah. I would have not known what was going on. But that story was explained well enough that I didn't need to know who Dr. Pustule or Goatman were. Mm. It was obvious from the context that 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 was her boss, and that was a co-worker she hates. Right. It was good in spite of the setting and mm-hmm. all the other superhero garbage. Yeah. And this one's just crap all by itself. Yeah. Well, um, I need a break from dangerous killer fertilizer that makes delicious vegetables that actually don't actually hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's kind of a toss-up. Mm, yeah. But I need a break, so we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, and thanks to those products and services, we're now uh, bigger than ever before. So, <laughs> how do you like them apples? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what do we got next, Bugs? This one I had to read a few different times mm-hmm. because it was the first two thirds is coherent. Mm-hmm. The final third makes not a lick of sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So it's called The Night Watch with Winston Owens. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I didn't write any notes about it. It didn't even matter at all. The reason it's called The Night Watch mm-hmm. is because that's the name of a radio program that our initial character is listening to. Mm-hmm. And in between the perspective changes, we get a little paragraph snip of what they're saying, mm-hmm. but you start halfway through a sentence and you end halfway through a sentence and it's just general commentary on the state of the world. Mm-hmm. Adds nothing. I just was like, well, I'm not even writing notes on this. It doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. So that's where the name comes from. And Winston Owens is the radio host that is doing the talking, but that has nothing at all to do with the story. Mm-hmm. It's just to set the scene. Okay. So, yeah. Um, a cop is listening to the radio, mm-hmm. to that thing, and he's called out to investigate a murder. And so we follow him to the first murder. The guy is choked to death. Follow him to a second murder. Mm-hmm. The guy's choked to death. Follow him to a third murder. That guy's choked to death. Content warning of CSI. No. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Content warning for CSA child sexual abuse. That's much worse. I, you better cut that. <laughs> I will not. 
Continue. <laughs> anyway, so each have been choked to death and were apparently part of a kiddie porn ring. Oh, God. And there's pictures, there's video of, like, children being abused in Cambodia or something. And he figures out, he finds a picture with five guys and three of them who had just got murdered were in this picture. So he solves the problem of, oh, somebody's going after these pedos. Does he tell the FBI who've taken over? No. He goes to the fourth guy's house and hears a shriek. So he busts in and sees a ghost holding up the guy, choking him to death. The ghost is a lady. She's holding a teddy bear, but she's like this smoky, ghosty person. He calls her ghost mama. We never find out her name. He calls her ghost mama? Yes. That. uh... He assumes she's like this killer... Ghost bent on avenging spirit. Yeah, avenging these children, I guess. But we're it's never explained. We have no idea. The cop is like, eh, I don't care if this pedo gets killed too. So he just nopes out and leaves. Yeah, fair. So shriek into that idea. Okay, he goes down to a coffee shop and has a coffee and pie. End of his story. He's like, all right, I just got to see somebody die. We yep, we saw some people die. We saw some porn of. Poor, we saw some poor little kid pics. It's just been a full day. That was his day. So we now switch perspective. Okay. Jennifer is his waitress. So we switch to her perspective. Uh-huh. <clears throat> She's a waitress who's in love with a Canadian superhero who is never named. Oh, it's uh, oh, from the, the bank one. Uh, Sunspot. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think it is. But maybe. He's never named. He's never named. I went back and forth with the fine-tooth comb. He's not named. Right. But he's the only one that so far that I that I know. That you of. know because you haven't read the whole book. Yeah, yes. that's true. I'll, yes. I'll shut my mouth. <laughs> no, no. It's If you are following the journey from mm-hmm. beginning to end in this book, yeah. I was utterly confused because I completely forgot. I was thinking, Red Claw the Inuit? <laughs> Sunspot, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. But she describes him as this big, hunky massively famous Canadian superhero who is the embodiment of Canadian handsomeness. She takes up watching hockey and curling and roots for Canada, whatever. Everyone else is going, USA, USA. And she's like, oh, Canada, and dresses up with a red maple leaf. She is hot for this Canadian who is not named. I've I've never heard of anyone fetishizing Canada she takes it hard, mm-hmm. and she wants this Canadian, which is why Sunspot doesn't really seem to... Yeah, he doesn't really come off as heartthrobby. No, or big and muscular, or wearing a spandex suit. And it doesn't sound like there's that many superheroes out in the world at this point, mm-hmm. so I don't know if Sunspot was even revealed yet. Because these stories are not in order in time. Mm-hmm. It's never explained what part of time the stories are in. You can only get an idea based on when the cataclysm happened. Mm -hmm. So that's her. (laughs) She loves this unnamed, unmet superhero. She also hates her dad and stepmom. That is her personality. Because they're American. The opposite of Canadian. They actually are like, why do you want this Canadian? You should go for an American superhero. (laughs) You should pick a U.S. superhero. And she's like, I don't like Blue Mouse. I don't like... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> because he's American or because he's an alien mouse creature? She's in her internal monologue is, I'm going to keep it in the same species, Dad. No one's forcing her to fetishize superheroes at all. This is a choice. She is choosing to heartthrob over a superhero, and it happens to be the Canadian, and everyone around her is confused. All right. Well, her, it sounds like her parents don't even have a problem with fetishizing a superhero. superhero. It's just the choice. Why is he? Can, why Canadian? Yes, exactly. Uh, nationalists. Yep. Disgusting. <laughs> so she hates her dad and her stepmom because they have money and won't give it to her. Her dad owns a chain of um, furniture stores. Mm-hmm. Mom died, and then he married the stepmom shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And so they have money, but they won't give it to her. So she has to live in this lame neighborhood. She has to work as a waitress, and it's really, really hard to save up enough money to drive to Canada and find her superhero. Uh, (laughs) None of the guys she sleeps with want to wear the superhero outfit during sex. uh, So she keeps losing her boyfriends. Yeah, as she should. 
That is okay. That's a choice. (laughs) So she's going to Canada to find him and make him have sex with her while wearing his costume, (laughs) goddammit. I mean, she knows what she wants in life. I I can't fault her for that. She's going to get it. You know how she's going to get it? She's going to go murder her dad and stepmom and take their money. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) What? And we end her scene. Cut. That is her story. Move on. Totally disconnected. Okay. Yep. I, I, I won't preempt it. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. So it is a very chaotic view into her head, but okay. She has her motivation. We got it. We got her motivation. Got it. We now switch to an unnamed conversation. From here to the end of the story, it is everything is said. Nothing is described. The people who are speaking are not described. Mm-hmm. You just walk in to, who are you? Where am I? What is this place? What happened? I don't know. It sounds like a dialectic. Like uh, it was, it was utterly confusing. So I, I read it three times, and then I very painstakingly made these notes for you. One of the voices is Jenna, mm-hmm. Jennifer's stepmom. <laughs> okay, she was murdered by Jennifer so that she could get her money and go bang a hot Canadian. And her ghost went back in time and murdered pedophiles. No, no, that's not her. All right, so that's just, okay. (laughs) The other voice is best man. What? A super who has psychic powers and can also see the future and can also talk to dead people. And I don't know what else. And is great at weddings. For grooms that don't have friends. I have no clue why he has that name. I didn't look up his character profile. I probably should have. But he is in this tiny, tiny piece of this story. And I'm like, why should I bother? Why should I fucking bother? I don't know. So Jenna is basically (laughs) like, oh, yeah. What was her husband's name? Monty. Monty was such a great guy. He didn't. I was a stripper and he didn't try to pay me for sex. He brought me flowers. He never tried to touch me. He was so sweet and so kind and just loved me. And Jennifer was just this brat who wanted to take all the money and blow it on pills and guys and drugs and junk. And we, I told him she, he can't spoil her and give her all this money because she needs to learn how to earn money and and have a decent life. So we get this completely opposite idea of the family from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And she's describing all of this to this superhero. Mm -hmm. The superhero is there as a favor to the cop at the beginning of the story to find out who killed Jenna to solve the murder for him. Why? I don't... Is the cop best man? No. No? He's just... Best man happens to know the cop and showed up and her ghost was still there. But Monty's ghost isn't there, and we don't. Sometimes he talks to dead people. Sometimes he can't find them. She happens to be there to exposit the rest of the story. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and in this world, there's no afterlife. Ghosts just kind of hanging out, doing their thing, wandering off, making it however they want. So there isn't a god. <laughs> Not in this story. <laughs> Not in this one. <laughs> You think some of the authors were just going like back and forth, like they noticed some of the other authors posting like weird Christian overtones, and this this one author is just like, no, you die and you stay on Earth. It sucks worse. Yeah, because she's asking um, best man, like, well, what's next? Why am I cold? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, you're expecting to be cold, so just expect to be warm and you'll be warm. Expect to be happy and you'll be happy. Okay. And it's like. How does he he know this? Because he can speak to dead people, but he can also see the future, which is how he avoided the cataclysm. He decided to just not be there. So he was also a coward. Why didn't he tell anyone else? Um, not explained. Why why didn't if he can see that why can't he stop pedophiles from touching kids? So that uh, he doesn't to, care. He's not on that job. All right. Fine. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we do not understand who why he's here except to solve this murder for this guy. Um, because we don't care about the pedo murders, I guess. And so basically, she's able to remember that Jennifer shot her and Monty. And she says, take a message for me. Take a message to, t- to Jennifer and tell her I'll be waiting. To choke her to death like a pedophile? No, just to smack her around in the afterlife. When Jennifer dies, she'll be there waiting to smack her around. Who is this for? This is, I don't know what this is. That's the end of the story. 
what uh, <laughs> why is this why i i struggled so this 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 story took an hour of reading and taking notes i was so confused about because i kept thinking oh the ghost woman that's a setup to mm. talking to her well maybe that's the one who's talking to jenna no and the entire part of the pedos could have been completely skipped in the first part mm-hmm. but every section on its own was its own little mini story, but none of it really connected to anything else. Mm-hmm. We only needed Jennifer to want to kill her parents for that to be that little scene, mm-hmm. but she could have had any motivation. It uh, None of it made sense. It was blah. It was boring. It was confusing. It was a failure. Oh. F. We need, like, a stamp sound. Ha. Oh. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's just... Yeah, I don't know what to do with all that. No. Gosh. Uh, no. Let's move on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Hello, Biblio-freaks, geeks, and lovers. This episode ran pretty long, so I'm adding a ending here in post because we didn't have the foresight when we first recorded this episode to add in like a organic-sounding ending in the middle. So yeah, I'm, I'm just doing it now. Uh, we appreciate your patience, and we hope you're having half as much fun as we are, because we're having a pretty great time, and we're glad you're here. Uh, I love most of you. Goodbye. Hey, you know who doesn't have the hots for a Canadian superhero? No, because I, I certainly do. Dang, I do too. Now it's these ads and sponsors. Uh... Thank you, Biblio freaks, geeks, and lovers, for joining us today. Send your Biblio recommendations to bibliorex at gmail.com. We are at Bibliorex on Patreon and all the socials. Thank you for all the bad books and the good laughs. Goodbye.